sometimes I need to remind myself to just breathe for a second, you know? Those of us who are Enneagram ones and get all caught up in our anger, we stop breathing. As I sat with our text for this week, the experience of being on autopilot kind of kept coming to mind. Um, Like, you know, when I'm driving somewhere and I end up there and I'm not real sure how I got there, which is terrifying, right? Um, But maybe even more terrifying are those moments in which I'm not, um, let's just say, in a good place. And I just kind of go through the motions. This is particularly evident in my household right? Where uh, it usually looks like me cleaning up or making my world as perfect as possible so I can just breathe and relax, which of course in itself is not a bad thing. But I can kind of get stuck in this rut, um, not even paying attention to how those unhealthy autopilot behaviors affect the people around me, right? And our relationships or the witness of Christ in my life. I think we all know what it's like to be on autopilot, right? Kind of just going through the motions, asleep to what we're really doing and what's really going on in the world around us. And even if we're not intentionally choosing unwise behaviors or ways of relating uh, to one another and our neighbors, the fruit that is born out of our lives can be a bit sour um, when we're caught in that state of sleep, if you will. Today we're going to move along in the book of Ephesians as we've been kind of making our way through the entire book, um, and we are arriving at chapter 5. Now this text is a bit of a doozy itself, Um, seems to be the last couple chapters, we're going to be kind of getting a little into some hairy stuff. Um, It has been used to harm, create boundaries, impose restrictions on those who identify with Christ. And we will get into the text kind of bit by bit today, not because I think it's some fun exercise, though, you know, maybe it is, uh, but because I think it's important uh, for us to have clarity about what the text says and how we're reading it and how it then applies to our lives today. Before we do that, though, I want to just say that as I was reading, I was repeatedly drawn to verse 14 in the second part of it in chapter 5. It says, Sleeper, awake. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This itself, I believe, is good news. And it is uh, a prayer that I wish to echo today as we dive into this passage together. It has been said that the book of Ephesians cannot be read without being in a posture of prayer, one that begins and ends with grace just as the letter itself does. And so this morning I want to do something a little bit different, but I don't want you to like freak out because I know when I say that it usually means I want us to talk about the text, and I'm not going to do that, okay? (laughs) I'll I'll tackle this hard stuff this morning, then you can wrestle with it later, all right? Um, I'm going to read the text one time through straight, uh, and I want to do so in a posture of prayer, allowing the text to be a prayer in and of itself of sorts, and then we're going to turn there together if you're not already there. Um, and walk through it verse by verse. So I'm going to ask that you just kind of put yourself in a posture of prayer, whatever that means for you at this moment, as I just read it through one time, and maybe not looking at the text for yourselves, um, and just listen, and then we will dive into it kind of verse by verse. 
Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and live in love as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But fornication and impurity of any kind or greed must not even be mentioned among you, as is proper among saints. Entirely out of place is obscene, silly, and vulgar talk, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. Be sure of this, that no fornicator or impure person or one who is greedy, that is, an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be associated with them. For once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what such people do secretly. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Sleeper, awake. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So do not be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times, and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. All right. Like I said, we're going to walk back through it. This time I am going to read verse 21 because it is the bridge between this section and the next eh, challenging section that we'll get to next week, which will be super fun. Uh, I'm going to stop along the way and just make some comments because I think there are a lot of words here in the Greek that if we kind of parse out a little bit with some different terms um, become really helpful for us this morning. I want to remind us that this is part of a letter, okay, a larger section of text, and it comes obviously after chapter 4, in which case um, Paul is speaking to building one another up, being kind and tender-hearted, even with a righteous anger that Brittany spoke about last week that moves you to love, forgiving one another as God has forgiven you. Therefore, so this portion of the text starts with, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave up himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This verse 1 is the only place in Scripture in which we are called to be imitators of God. The point is to love as God loves. And so I, it, I think it's really important that we read this text in a posture of prayer where everything hinges on being grounded in God's love. And of course, then consistent with the person of Jesus that we both experience and read about in the Gospels. Verse 3, 
But fornication and impurity of any kind or greed must not even be mentioned among you as is proper among the saints. In general, throughout the letter, Paul is adhering to advice of rhetoricians, okay? He, he doesn't introduce teaching that would be unfamiliar to the Christian audience, but what they have heard before. And he's going to become a little bit more explicit, though, in our, in our section for next week on household codes. He uses the then-now language, but now he's adding examples focusing on pagan sins, those who are not believers, and what folks might be tempted to return to. And so he begins to give alternatives to such behavior. Of course, as anyone who is public speaking, right, in his day, uh, his message is easier to sell, if you will, if the examples that he is giving are vices also being denounced in the broader cultural setting, right? But it's much harder to sell this message that he has when the examples are considered acceptable to the Greco-Roman culture of his day. And this is where we'll see such certain forms of male sexual behavior and social behavior that we might actually understand more as prostitution or holding power over one another, as Brittany spoke about last week, uh, be um, commented on. But I want to make a comment here about that. Um, ben Witherington, one of our favorite commentators we pull from quite a bit, actually, um, he makes mention that the Greek word here um, that is translated as fornication is porneia, which is not a technical term for fornication, but refers to a wide variety of sexual sin. And when used more narrowly, seems to mean prostitution or incest, Okay. Some Greco-Roman writers banned sexual activity outside of marriage, but that was rare counsel in that world. He goes on to say, normally the most restrictive of Greco-Roman moralists would allow men to frequent prostitutes while women had to confine themselves to their husband. Of course, he's writing and attending to people in a patriarchal society, so this is not surprising at all for us. And after having been on a virtual tour, if you will, of Ephesus and just visiting uh, the ancient Roman city of Pompeii for myself, let me just tell you, it is clear that brothel, brothels were very prominent and um, encouraged and clearly marked for patronizing, right? They were very much a central part of culture and society. So Paul is placing restrictions on behavior that was seen as acceptable, if you will, outside of Jewish, the Jewish realm. So any kind of impurity, which might be better defined as anything done out of impure motives, right, and therefore seen as unclean, or anything done out of this greed, right, an insatiable, acquisitive drive to have more, this covetedness or avarice, is not proper among the saints, those being the people in this particular spiritual location, okay? And he continues, verse 4. Entirely out of place is obscene, silly, or vulgar talk, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Be sure of this, that no fornicator or impure person or one who is greedy, is an, is, that is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now I think if we're going to get hung up on any part of the text, it's probably this one, okay? Um, and I think it's because of this. As we read this passage, in light of the trajectory of the story of God, right, this movement of love toward goodness and beauty and shalom, we have witnessed the Christian community wield texts like this, right, to do a lot of harm in the world, to create boundaries and exclusions. 
So when these texts are used to exclude folks, as Brittany commented last week, she put it this way, we have very little room left in our theology for such use of scripture as to deny folks a belonging to the kingdom. Right? We might have a bit of wrestling to do with the words attributed to the apostle Paul. We are constantly framing and reframing our understanding as saints today in this particular spiritual location in accordance, of course, to loving as God loves. So I want you to hear me say that it is completely natural and expected, right, as followers of Jesus for our theology to be shifting toward greater inclusivity as we allow the Spirit to work in us. Ironically, though, with this text, and often misconstrued, the apostle is not asserting that those believers who fall into these sins are automatically excluded from God's kingdom. Rather, as Brittany mentioned last week, the person has given themselves up without shame or repentance to this way of life. So Paul's attempting to make clear that insatiable rapaciousness and excessive desire to obtain, right, this selfish or oppressive way is actually a form of idolatry. Anything or anyone that one desires more than God becomes an idol. And this is what he is addressing. He's focusing on the distinctives needed in his day. He's making this point because he's concerned about the Christian witness. And I think maybe that's something we can appreciate today. I don't think I need to go into examples of the ways that we have not appreciated the Christian witness in today's society, culture, and whatnot Um, you can use your imaginations. But we're probably right there together. Verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath, which might be translated the anger or movement or agitation of the soul of God, comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be associated with them. Now, the word here in Greek for associated is actually one that means more of partaking with. Do not participate with, okay? So he's not urging dissociation from those who are not believers altogether, just dissociation from certain kinds of behavior that are not consistent, right, with loving as God loves. Verse 8, For once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Verse 10, Try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Now, this verse strikes me as pretty interesting, I think because um, it's one that the church, at least from my experience and my background, don't often encourage, right? Find out, which means through experience, right, what is pleasing to the Lord. In other words, the Christian life is not boiled down to just a matter of following preset rules. And if that's not good news for our ears today, I don't know what else is. Using good judgment, Christ-like character. In doing so, the Spirit guides us to decide what is and what is not good, right, and true fruit. And I have to trust that we can discern what is good and what is not good, right? We can hold up that fruit and ask ourselves, is it good news for all people? Is it growing us toward freedom in Christ, which is freedom for our neighbors as well in Christ? Is it growing in love as God 
loves. Now I say that, but I'm going to add a caveat here. Discernment can be clear on an individual level, but is usually best practiced in community. In other words, I don't believe that this is just a free pass to do whatever you want and then baptize it. That's good. Okay? There's a difference. Verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them for it is shameful or a dishonor, even to mention what such people do secretly. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, sleeper awake, or you who have been dead, rise from the dead. Rise to this life in which you can breathe, right? In which you are inspired, and Christ will shine on you. Christ will pour out upon you this divine truth just as the sun gives light to arouse someone from sleep. Now these words here, verse 14, may have referenced familiar spiritual formation language found in ancient Easter and baptismal liturgy, or they could be the words of the prophet Isaiah, who in chapter 60, verse 1, says this, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Sleeper, awake, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Verse 15, be careful then how you live, or how you walk, or regulate, or pass your life. Not as unwise people, but as wise. Again, God's love is displayed in Christ. And that is the pattern that the audience is called to emulate and imitate. Verse 16, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear the word evil, I'm like, oh, gee, here we go. Some, like, crazy spiritual warfare over-spiritualizing stuff all the time. Like, that's just, like, my immediate, like, you know, thing that I deal with. However, what I thought interesting is that the word here for evil in Greek actually means full of labors, annoyances, toils, and hardships. To which I just go, amen. Yep. Probably annoyances for me. Um, Verse 17. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery or a dissolute life, but be filled in this present continual tense with the Spirit as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord. To the Lord to whom you belong in your hearts or the center of your being and physical life, giving thanks to God the Father at all times. And for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then we get to verse 21. We're not going to tackle verse 21. I'm just going to read it because it bridges next week and we'll read it again. Be subject or yield to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, bear witness and live well. Giving yourself both individually and communally over to the Spirit's presence and leading Not in some sort of ecstasy like being drunk, but in a life-giving way. I want to circle back around the very beginning. Verse 1. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This language of fragrant offering and sacrifice to God is heard also in the teaching of Jesus. Like when he 
He responds to those Pharisees who get on him and question him about eating with the tax collectors and sinners. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, we hear him respond to those Pharisees, and he says, Go and learn what it means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He's actually quoting uh, Hosea 6.6, where the prophet shares the word from the Lord, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. So I think whenever we're deceived into thinking that our practices or ways of life that actually exclude folks from belonging, right, or harm our neighbors, are some sort of pure offering or sacrifice that we bring to God, right, we might be well reminded that we are called to be imitators of God, to live in love. We give up ourselves, yielding to the Spirit and to one another for the good of our neighbor, so that each person might experience the love and inherent belonging to the kingdom of God. This is the way of Jesus, and this is the fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Where does that all bring us today? I think it brings us to like one question, and that is, are we asleep? Are we on autopilot, unaware of how our lives in the midst of the ordinary and everyday reflect the love of God? We're called to be imitators and to live in love. And so in what ways is the Spirit whispering to you and to us? Sleeper, awake. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Maybe for you, like for me, it might sound something like this. This is more confessional, by the way, than anything. Okay. Awaken to the ways in which your greedy daily habits build up or tear down relationships or creation itself. Awaken to the injustice within the systems and structures, those policies and laws that you benefit from. And don't even think twice about the negative impact imposed on those who are vulnerable, marginalized, and oppressed. Awaken to the patriarchal and white supremacist systems in which you live and to which you have fallen prey and contributed to, leading to the devaluing of bodies and lives. Awaken to the language that you use to talk about instead of with the people around you even if it's just the language in your head. Awaken to the needs of your neighbors, especially those who stretch your understanding of the boundaries of belonging or those who confront your sense of comfort and privilege. Awaken to the love of God poured out each morning that is always graciously moving toward greater inclusivity and deeper love that knows no bounds. Friends, we are called to live in such a way as to try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord, not by dissociating ourselves from those around us, but by loving as God loves. Not by the unspoken or spoken rules that we've come to live by and judge others against, in ways that create boundaries and exclude, but by putting God before anything and anyone. And I think this is what it means 
for us to be wanderers and wonders who discover and embody the love of Jesus in the world. Amen. <laughs>